Ah, yes, friends. On a Wednesday, it's OGP, the one giant podcast where you know we are your hosts over here, Adam Armbrecht over there, Andy Makowitz. No time to waste, my friend, because we got a lot of things we need to get to here just essentially one day away from the draft, a couple of episodes away from the draft. Um, Big, big things potentially at the top, some mock draft scenarios that offer a few wrinkles for New York football Giants fans to consider. But before we do, some of the other wrinkles, Andy, are clearing off some money, making sure we can pay for this rookie draft class, and that involves one James Bradbury being on the move. Yeah, so Jordan Renan um, reported that he basically would be surprised if James Bradbury... Yeah, you you love that, don't you? Mm. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Renan, just a great name to to rip off. He doesn't have a theme song. It's just ridiculous. Criminal almost. But uh, he reported... uh, you know, basically, he'd be surprised at this point if J- if James Bradbury was on the roster come Sunday night. I think he even said that he expects him to be moved on. Um, you know, however you phrase it, it seems like you know the Giants need to free up cap space. It makes sense the the timing of it though, Adam. Just knowing that when a team misses on a guy that they really wanted in say the second or third round, they have the ability to then correct that mistake by paying a little bit of money to the Giants and giving a little bit of draft capital, right? Yeah, and I, I think the other part of it is, too, it's like from a Giants perspective, you you had him on the roster. You still have him on the roster. You were hoping to get some higher capital in return. You tested it. Didn't look like you were getting a lot of positive feedback. And at this point, like, yes, will a team be willing to give up an asset? Of course they will. But I'll be very curious to see what that asset is, because at a certain point for the Giants, by the end of the draft, we're going to need this money. We're going to move on from James Bradbury. And it may just come down to saying, you know, Hey, what's that? A fourth round pick? Good. You take more of the money that's remaining on his contract. What, you know, I, I don't know how far back fifth round pick you take all the money on the contract, right? The giants are just working that scenario. I think it's fine to have tried your best to maximize the value for him, And maybe it does play out favorably where te- multiple teams miss on their targets in the draft. But, but the biggest goal here is get them off the books, free up the money and be able to move off of them. It's funny because we were talking maybe not not five to seven days ago about how speculation that Kadarius Tony's going to be traded. When in reality, James Bradbury and Darius Slayton come Sunday night are much more likely to not be on this roster than Kadarius Tony. Yeah, I'll be very curious on the on the Darius Slayton. When we mentioned it yesterday, just about the two point five million, the balance of a little under a little one point two five ish that they can free up, kind of just just more money, more money to pay for the new toys that you bring into the building. I'll be interested to see if there's any traction there, or if this is like a cut release scenario. So interesting to kind of see how the league looks at a player that the Giants took in the fifth round a couple of years ago, and now you're talking about is the value at least held? As he retained that value of a fifth round selection, we'll find out starting tomorrow. Go ahead. Well, the one thing I was going to say about the wide receiver room and this, I don't know if this has been talked about, but think about Brian Dable wanting to put his imprint on the offense with Mike Kafka. Like they don't have the ability with other wide receivers to be able to make these types of changes. You look at Kenny Galladay, his contract is, is prohibitive for you to be able to move on. The one thing they didn't talk about with Kadarius Tony is you know, if you were to move on from him, you actually would incur a bigger cap hit this year. I think it's an additional two and a half or three and a half million dollars of cap hit. So the Giants couldn't move on from him anyway. You talk about Sterling Shepard. They restructured him and saved money rather than outright cutting him. Right. There right. wasn't really any other wide receivers that Brian Dable could have been like, hey, we could save money and get value by trading this guy away. Darius Slayton happens to be the one guy out of that entire room that falls into that bucket. 
and you can't turn around and say, hey, why don't you take a little bit of a pay cut here, you know, Darius Slayton. There's no money really to cut, right? I mean, to, to go to him and say that would be like, well, what do you want, pennies on the dollar here? What do you want to do, take a futures contract? So right. you don't He's really... like, just release me. Yeah, just release yes. me at that point. So, yeah, yeah, and to your point, and, and they brought in, you know, James, they brought in a couple of young players. So you talk about, you know, imprint on the position. Listen, some guys just fit schematically. You want to have certain styles of players that you feel like you can rotate through and use in different ways. And Darius Slayton, at the very least, is a is a one-dimensional player. Put him on the outside. Let him stretch the field for you. And we know he struggled last year, certainly, with his catches. So we'll keep an eye on him as well. Two possible opportunities for the New York football giants to add assets in this year's draft, maybe in the later rounds, or maybe grab something for next year as well, just to make sure that you continue to have the ability to fill needs going forward. The other one is then, uh, before we get into the hellish landscape that is Jordan Renan, uh, the board is set, as we've heard now. And you can see there, the Tetem has made decisions, uh, if you're watching over on YouTube Live. But the, the, the we said this, I think, a couple of days ago around how, essentially, the New York football giants, there was a Bob Papa, had Joe Shane on, had Brian Dable on, and they said, where do you stand leading up to the draft? And pretty much our board is where we want it to be. Maybe there's just some tweaks now in between management the gm and the coaching staff brian dable saying well you know the eye test on this guy we really like him and now you're, you're just butting heads a little bit you're trying to clean it up but their intention is to present their final board to john mara where then he can make his strongest overtures for whatever random player he desires don't you love that it's like we hire that. these people that are super capable at their job and like we had issues with the old regime and this time, and I guess it makes sense. Listen, when you own a billion dollar franchise, you should get the final say. But at the same time, they're basically saying, this is our board. How do you like it? And he's like, no, nah, move that guy up to maybe move that guy down one. Like it would just be so apropos giants. If we start meddling a little bit um, in, in terms of like all the hard work that's been done by all the scouting department over the last six months. Yeah, I think for me, I think you would hope anyway, is that like it's John Merritt, like, you know, the character piece, right? Hey, are these high quality guys? Do we like them? Are there any maybe connected players, local guys, you know, either went to school, Rutgers, maybe some local products or that are from the area that you say, hey, these guys have ties. I, as you know, John Merritt was able to get a look at a couple of them, maybe regionally. Again, I like to think that John Mara got the dose of like, oh, so I, I can be a part of the problem too. I need to take a big healthy step back here. And that all starts with you hire a guy like Joe Shane, you let him bring in right what looks like his coaching staff, his new structure, his new analytics department, right? Like promoting people, hiring, creating new positions, which seemingly tells you the Giants did not have all the boxes checked. I, it, of course, you own the franchise. You get to, you get to do the symbolic. And there we go. I love it. But but I wonder, Adam, and I'll just throw this question out to you. We didn't talk about this before the show, but um, do you think there's an element where John Mara has to, you talk about the character piece is definitely one, like this has to be representative of our franchise. So he has to kind of filter that a little bit for the entire organization. Is there a piece of this where John Mara might say, well, listen, if it comes between these two guys, that guy has box office appeal or that guy could help us sell tickets or that guy could help us sell jerseys because his name recognition is larger than someone else. Like, is there an element of the business side of it where John Mara might come in and be like, you know, that guy might make us a couple extra bucks in the merch store. Maybe, you know, maybe Doc Hollywood, Steve Tisch could come in, you know, and swing and swing his kind of Hollywood profile around. I think, yes, I would say yes, if 
you had not gotten the sample size over the last you know decade or so where some of the sexier names and the flashier moves and winning free agency haven't resulted in wins for the team, right? That's again where where Joe Shane gets to come in and go, if you trust uh, if you trust me, if you put me in control of this thing, then trust me to bring in the players that are going to be successful. And guess what? The guys that you don't look at as being quote unquote box office, just wait. They'll be box office for us. They'll be box office because they'll be making plays on the field, and suddenly you'll have stars and you'll have name recognition based on what they do. The, the simple answer to me is winning cures all of that, right? Like exactly. if your team is successful, people will buy any jersey of a player that they endear themselves to. So I completely agree with you. But I'm just curious. You, you see Jerry Jones meddling so much as the owner of the Cowboys, and a lot of people will point to that's why they've had recent failures. But at the same time, we we know that the board is set. We know that Brian Dable and Joe Shane are ready to go. So they're probably going to, you, you think they're going to do any little last minute tweaking on Thursday morning or, or what do you think they're, what do you think they're doing Thursday morning? Well, that's what you say. You know, they're all, it's all figured out. It's just a matter of wrinkles come at you in the draft. And I guess you're just sipping over a cup of coffee on Thursday morning. You're thinking, you know what? Being so confident. And as we know, Joe Shane's not a grinder. It's not like he's doing last minute, just double checking some things. He's going to go, Let's pull it back. Let's go big picture here, guys. Let's talk about if we're going to sign uh, Daniel Jones on his fifth-year option because that's the kind of financial decision that we need to make before we get into the draft class. Well, it's it's interesting that you say that because that is the reality for, for the Giants right now. Diana Rossini reported this morning after the draft board is set, they're basically taking the rest of the day to confirm with ownership that the draft board looks good, and then tomorrow they're meeting to talk about the future of Daniel Jones and whether or not to pick up his fifth year option. And Adam, it sounds like there's a little bit of skepticism in your voice that that's, that's the game plan um, that the giants are going to have going, you know, with 12 hours to go in the draft. Well, they have plenty of time to make the decision. Like they can still get into camp. Like they get to get into camp. Like we talked about this, but you talked about this with me and said, Hey, you get to get into camp. You get to see him with some of the draft selections. Maybe you get to get a feel for where he is inside of the offensive system. He can continue to check some boxes. Now, Generally speaking, you've been around him for some time now, so you can sit there and say, like, hey, if we don't have a sense of this kid now, what are we going to have later? Um, but, 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 but shy of, but shy of saying, we want, let's get together because Joe Shane and Brian Dable are going to say to John Mara, the reason why we want to clarify that we're not, let's, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, committing to anything, but we're not picking up the fifth year option. That's because, hey, you know what? There's a prospect later in the draft here at quarterback that we wouldn't mind getting in here and kind of preparing for what the following year could look like if Tyrod Taylor is our bridge quarterback and just a young player that we could try to work inside of our system. Unless that's the angle that they're taking, why bother having this discussion on a Thursday of the draft? So, Adam, couple couple things to note. One is the only way you go into camp to see what you have with Daniel Jones is not due to the fifth year option. That's to be able to stay play out the franchise tag because the Giants right. have yes. yeah. Yeah. The, the Giants have until Monday, May second to pick up his right. fifth year option. So Sorry, is that I framed that the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. So, but I knew exactly where you were going. We've done this a while, so I completely get it. May second is when the Giants have to decide on that twenty two million dollar fifth year option. Now you're kind of saying, well, this is a little crazy. This is ludicrous. I understand your thought process on it. However, I'm just saying, just have the discussion on Monday. Like that's all I'm saying. I'm just but, saying like Monday is fine. But if you go in on Thursday morning and, and there is a, a conflict between what the team wants to do with Daniel Jones, that will impact or could impact the giants wanting to draft a developmental quarterback in the draft. Like 
you you know, if you say we are picking up Daniel Jones's fifth year option, we are good with Tyrod Taylor on a two year deal, and we are good with Daniel Jones going into it. The idea of, of drafting a fifth round quarterback, you're not going to carry three quarterbacks when you have Davis Webb and Lurkey and, and and other guys on the roster. So I think it actually does impact some of the later round strategies. If they decline it and they say all we've got, no, we know for a fact is Tyrod Taylor next year. Then you could go as early as maybe the fourth round, or you know, and say let's get a guy that we could develop that could sit, you know, behind these guys for one year. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I love it. <laughs> I love it. If they're going in to talk to, if they're going in to talk to John Mara to say like, just to be clear, John, this is the last year for Daniel Jones with our franchise, and that opens us up to make some decisions inside of the draft. That part of it makes sense, and honestly, that's a really good point because I was looking at it as. I mean, I was looking at it as it's already assumed we're not bringing him back for the fifth year. So right. why have this discussion now? But if if John Mara has been pushing back against this philosophy versus what Joe Shane and Dable want to do, you're coming in one last time ahead of the draft to say, now, John, we've been batting this around. This is where we stand on it. We believe we're going to move on from him. We're not going to pick up the fifth year. And therefore, we want you to know, here's our board. And you might notice our board includes some, whatever, fourth, fifth round possibilities to develop someone inside of our system. That's a really good point. And that's, and, and it's, and it's to what I would prefer. So therefore it's obviously the right move. And, and, the, <laughs> and the, and the other thing is also, just so you know, if we have decided not to pick it up, we're not going to announce it until Monday anyway. So what right. happens, John Mara, is if we draft a quarterback in the draft, there's going to be questions that someone will have to answer. You will likely get asked the question of, why did you draft that? Is Daniel Jones your future? So sure. just get everyone on the same page before anything happens. And I wouldn't be surprised if in this conversation, they're also having the same conversation about Dexter Lawrence, because if you're going to decline his 50 year option for $10 million a year, then you know that you're going to have to draft someone in the middle rounds for the interior line to shore that up as well. So I think there are a little bit of considerations on where you go in the draft with what you're going to do come Monday. Yeah, no, that, that's a really good point. And when you bring up Dexter Lawrence, we talked about that before. You were a proponent potentially of picking up. Why wouldn't you pick up that option? But again, this is about reconstructing this roster. And it's, it's, this is the theme from, from Sterling Shepard to Blake Martinez to Kadarius Toney to James Bradbury into Dexter Lawrence to Daniel Jones. It's a new GM group, new coaching staff, new identity for where this franchise is going to go. And it's why talent and cost is all relative to where they see this this team going over this draft class and then moving into the years ahead. So, with that being the case, though, so go ahead. Yeah, a little way. Oh, I, I, I did. I had one more right. little piece of it. The other thing that you you had just mentioned, which sparked something in me, is also like this is the new regime talking to the old ownership regime who <laughs> signed off right, on yeah. these players, right? Like, so it's right. a delicate balance for Shane and Dayball to be able to say like. We love these guys. Yeah, your decisions were trash. <laughs> like, like you can't, you can't say that you guys whiffed on two first round picks with like oh, yeah, it's like can. calling someone's baby ugly. So there is this little like I think it's fascinating. They have to go in and be like, listen, we love, we love Dave, and we love, we love, love, love Dexter, but like we're gonna go in a different direction. It's hard because jo John Maris signed off on both of those guys and was like a plus, lock it up. So if you're going to go in a different direction, you have to be very careful on how you word that to ownership. 
And incidentally, it's like when John Maris says, right, like we've done everything possible to screw this kid up. Like he's not saying we're not sure if we made a mistake with him where he's saying we know we made mistakes around him. And it's like, yeah, listen, Joe Shane walking in and being like, your baby is so cute. And sometimes I think the best way for them to grow is like at the orphanage. So maybe <laughs> that's a scenario that we want to flesh out here. Speaking of scenarios that we want to flesh out. Jordan Renan, as you, you talked about him yesterday, the difference between, you know, the way he speaks about the Giants versus, say, Peter King, both reputable, both obviously have been around the NFL a long time, but one's a beat writer and more plugged in maybe than someone who's looking at it from a bird's eye view. He was involved in a, a mock draft scenario that we're going to call a, a, a possible nightmare scenario for the New York football Giants that really brought up a lot of interesting wrinkles around what could happen at the top of the draft and the way that could impact the decision-making process for Big Blue. Yeah, so Jordan Renan was doing an NFL Nation mock draft for, for ESPN, and um, he was the one that was responsible for the fifth and the seventh pick being you know the, the quintessential Giants beat, beat reporter. And the tough decisions that he had to make was because of what happened with the four pick in front of him. So the four picks essentially went Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Evan Neal, and Iki Iquanu. And those four were basically the top two edge rushers and top two offensive tackles are off the board. And then Jordan has to make a decision on what would be the best thing for the Giants to do. Is it to maybe go down the route of taking the next offensive tackle that is available in, in Charles Cross? Is it to be able to grab a cornerback? Uh, because that's clearly an area of need with James Bradbury going. And coincidentally, he went with a different option. He went with option number three, and he drafted Trayvon Walker at five. Now, before we get into seven, what, what are your thoughts about how the board fell and Trayvon being there at five? Yeah, it's interesting because when I saw kind of the buzz over on Twitter, right? Like, you know, this, this hellish landscape that, that Jordan Renan is painting. But he made an active choice, right? When you say like nightmare scenario, it makes me think, oh, all three of the possible offensive linemen were gone by the time the Giants came up at five. Like that would be maybe the quote unquote nightmare scenario. Now we talked about yesterday. What's the hierarchy? Is is Charles Cross clearly a step below those top two offensive linemen? But the other thing that it made me think about was just in terms of him choosing to go with Walker. We know how much his stock has risen. We know that it, there's arguments. Vegas says he could go number one overall. But if you are the New York Giants, Joe Shane mentioned this when he spoke with Bob Hoppe. Well, you can love a prospect. You can like a prospect. And then depending on where you're picking, you can love or like a prospect more or less. And if Trayvon Walker has, unless it's a smoke screen, you know, overall, but if Trayvon Walker has risen to the level of being considered one of the top two or three prospects in this entire draft, and he's there at five, I understand, at least in this scenario, I get why Renan goes there over Charles Cross because Charles Cross might be whatever, the ninth, the 10th, the 11th best player on the board. Trayvon Walker could be the best player in the draft, right? And at that point, that's what you're talking about. We just got the number one prospect in the NFL draft and we did it at number five. So I'm not shocked by that. I'm a little surprised that it's referenced as being like the worst case scenario because I think you can paint a darker one if you wanted to. Yeah, I think that's interesting that you mentioned that because on the board there, there was an offensive tackle that is, you know, collectively seen as uh, one of the three best tackles in a potential top 10 pick. And there was two cornerbacks in Sauce Gardner and Stingley that were available, which are areas of need. So in Jordan Renan's mind, especially knowing the Giants as, as much as he does, it, it does surprise me that he does go with with um, Trayvon Walker there, <laughs> saying that edge rusher and Trayvon Walker is an area of need and a better best player available as opposed to the other ones that we've talked about before. 
Yeah, and now, listen, we'll get to seven in a second here. But what I will say is, so there was some interaction with him saying, you know, what are we talking about? It's all over. Why didn't you maybe take Charles Cross there? And he mentioned two names that I had to go and look at because we've talked about we're going to get into what are our scenarios and options. We've mentioned some other offensive line that the Giants could add along with an offensive tackle uh, that they would take, you assume, at five or seven at the top of this draft. The two names that he threw out there um, were Luke Gadecki. Uh, and also uh, Sean Ryan. And I'm, I'm literally legitimately full acknowledgement did not have these guys on my radar coming into this draft class. Now, Central Michigan is where you're going to get Gadecki coming out of. He's a 626 prospect over on NFL.com, will eventually be an average starter. That's what that range indicates to you, not what I'm saying he's going to be. And I'll just give you the quick one line tag on him. He's got better instincts. Uh, then his teammate Bernard, who's regarded, uh, obviously, Ramon, one of those top converted from wide receiver to tackles. He's going in the first round, potentially, or high in the second round. And I think he's going to have a better pro career of the two. So you can compare him to a player that's getting a lot of buzz because he's a young transition to a new position, but he's high up there. This is a guy, Renan says, maybe in the third round, the Giants go and get. Then just quickly, the other guy being Sean Ryan. I would let him work at tackle and then fall fall him inside if he couldn't do it. But I see him as a right tackle early in his career. That's just an AFC scout talking about Sean Ryan, a player that also comes out, uh, just to give you the prospect grade, 6-1-4. That's a good backup with the potential to develop into a starter. So if you're talking about taking what we think is a premier elite talent coming in there at five in Trayvon Walker and then at seven, Renan had them going and getting Sauce Gardner because he's still there, which I absolutely love. Yeah, you can paint, you know, you can paint this picture. And it did bring to mind, I want to get your feedback of all the moves the Giants made in the offseason. We we did we talked about this of you did the things that if you add a key starter, and we were talking about the top, but if you add another key starter in the draft, you've done what you think would be enough to say, let's add a starter and then let's add to it next year, right? We've fallen in love with this idea of you have to take this guy at the top. I, I, I'm i not saying it's the perfect scenario, but I can understand and wrap my head around if you're going to dedicate 67 and 81 to the offensive line, this can still look like a very successful draft from that standpoint. Yeah, I mean, that's the big thing that we keep talking about is, you know, with this draft scenario, it doesn't check all the boxes. But what Joe Shane and Dable have said is this, this is a multi-year rebuild. We're not going to be able to fill the cupboard in every area of need. And so knowing that, do we just take the best players available at other areas of need and then work this year and, and figure out like what it is that we need and know that you have $100 million in, in cap to be able to go in next year and say, okay, if the only thing we need is a right tackle, then we're in a really good spot, right? Like that seems to be a good thing. We can fill out offensive guard. We could take a risk on a later flyer of offensive tackle. There are other ways to go about this if you get two elite talents at other positions. And let's talk, I want to bring it back here to what we just talked about, about this conversation that Joe Shane is going to have with uh, John Mara and ownership around Daniel Jones. The interesting, this is what I thought about when it first came out. Well, if they're going in there to say, we don't think that Daniel Jones is the future. And that means we don't have our franchise quarterback currently on the roster. 
It also means that fixing the offensive line can look a little bit more flexible, right? It doesn't have to be that we want to, you know, we want to get the best foot forward here with Daniel Jones. And that means get the right tackle right now at the top of the draft and be good to roll. Now, every rookie, regardless of where you take them, you want to give them that year to develop. But if you tell me I, I get two guys in the third round and they have a full year to develop with veterans around them. And then as you walk in the door next year, you're at the top of the draft, you have a quarterback that you love. And now you go. Yeah, and I have four out of my five spots with young talent, controllable talent that we really like, and that me, Joe Shane, that I brought in under my regime, not this hodgepodge of things that we've had over the last couple of years. Yeah, and you mentioned Sauce Gardner going at seven for for the Giants in Jordan Renan's mock draft. You love him. I think he's great. Um, you know, we have differing opinions on, on, on the ideal state of five and seven for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, a side note of this mock draft, knowing that they passed on Charles Cross at five, he actually slides down the board considerably. Doesn't go until 16th pick to the New Orleans Saints. So he got, he you know look out on draft night for him to be one of those guys that slides because the Giants have a desperate need for him. But then all of these other teams in the middle may just say, "I want an athlete on the edge or a wide receiver or another position." And maybe offensive tackle isn't the need you know in that little gap between the Giants and say mid 15, 16 pick. Oh, of course. And you mentioned, right, the, the, they're talking about the wide receivers are going to go between 10, 11 to 20. That's where the wide receiver run is going to happen with five or six really talented players. We've talked about Nicobe Dean, Devin Lloyd, right? Those are guys that are going to be there in those middle numbers, let alone if quarterbacks aren't being moved up for. There's a lot of teams that could do some dancing around everywhere from 9, 10, and then back into the 20. So, yeah, it's not... It wouldn't be inconceivable for that to be the case. And if you want to just project this in a, in a positive way for the New York football giants, say they didn't go that route. Well, it does mean there's some scenario where cross is still considered to be a better prospect and a right tackle. than say Zion Johnson, then say K on green, right? All of a sudden you, maybe, the, maybe one of these guys is dancing around the back end of the first round and the giants have an opportunity to secure a different option than 67 or 81. Maybe they can still get a quality offensive lineman in the back end of the first round, et cetera. So that being the case, then though, we said we want to kind of set the board around what we want the giants to come away with coming out of this draft. And we're going to keep, we'll see how far we get. We'd like to do the top 100 picks. That's five picks. We'll see how far we get through. I don't think we need to go too exhaustive at the top of the draft here, shy of if we disagree on, on what we would like the Giants to do and if there's big discrepancies. What is your five and seven? And it doesn't have, it's not obviously not predicated on this interesting board that came out with Jordan Renan or a lot of the speculation. We have some sense of the bodies at the top. What would be your preferred at five, at seven, the Giants get? So, um, Adam, it's tough because I go back and forth. I do like Charles. I do like Charles Cross. I think I think he is great. But the ideal state, the one that gets me the most excited, the one where I walk away from this entire first round of the of the NFL draft, and and I sit there and say, man, if we could have offensive tackle Evan Neal from Alabama at five, and because of all these off field personality concerns with Kayvon Thibodeau, to be able to get him at seven. I would look at that and I would sign up for that immediately. And to me, that is an A++ start to this draft for the Giants. You get an edge rusher that is a ridiculous freak athlete, and you get the offensive tackle that is a mountain of a man, 6'7", 351 pounds in Evan Neal. You could set it and forget it and say two of the most expensive positions in free agency, you've just shored up with two first-round picks. Take Neal. That's I like Neil. I love Neil. He's a great pick. He's a great prospect. As you said, mountain of a man. Be very, I'd be very satisfied with him. Very happy with him. Right. Um, 
But at seven, then I'm going Sauce Gardner if things are falling that way. And I'll even I'll engineer it in this sense of if I come up at five and Sauce Gardner is there and I have multiple options on the offensive line, I might just pull that trigger on Sauce Gardner. And this is predicated on the idea, though I'm not I'm not ironclad on this. So it's just that there are more options, I think, at the top of the second round edge rusher wise and more viable options at the top of the second round than at cornerback. So if we're talking about trying to build out and check all the boxes, by the time we get to, and we'll talk about it tomorrow, when we add in these 36, 67, and 81, it's about filling out a full complement of players and not getting maybe over overexcited. And I get why with a player like Thibodeau. Very exciting. Can get after the get after the, the passer, obviously off the edge, can set the edge for you. But there's been too much conversation around Jermaine Johnson being ideal for Wink Martindale's system. Trayvon Walker rising up the board. Very, very hot name right now. When there's that many guys getting chatter around the top, all edge rushers, it makes me just feel like, okay, either either it could be possible that a lot of these guys are better than Thibodeau and you don't want to take them that high, or that they're all kind of in an even area here, right? They're all on even footing, and that kind of waters down one of these selections a little bit for me as well. So I would say Evan Neal, Sauce Gardner. That's my perfect start of the first round for the New York Football Giants, checking really big boxes on both sides of the ball. Uh, well, Adam, you also mentioned Jermaine Johnson, which I think is noteworthy because a lot of people are saying he's now a lock for the top 10. Everybody loves him, his athleticism. He's great. He's He's got no holes. And, and let me just say, you know, I did a I did a bunch of recon on both Kayvon Thibodeau and Jermaine Johnson because some, you know, Jordan Renan was even saying, don't be surprised if they have him ranked higher than Thibodeau. Um, my yeah. challenge in all of this is that, Let's let's think about the trajectory that like well, or think about the history of both of these different players. So Jermaine Johnson basically went to Independence Community College while Kayvon Thibodeau was the number one ranked edge rusher or football player in all of high school. And then yeah. year two, year two, Kayvon Thibodeau has 10 sacks in a power five conference and is first team all American as a freshman. Do you know what Jermaine Johnson was doing during that time? He was out because he had just had to transfer to Georgia. Since that time, so you're you know, saying you're saying a kid that went to a small school somehow managed to battle his way out of it and get recognized by some of the best schools at the co- at the collegiate level and was able to transfer to one of them. Well, and then he went to Georgia and he had two and a half, you know, he had two and a half sacks where uh, you know Kayvon Thibodeau was starting. On a very starting- defensive roster that's hard to get over top of guys. We have three, four, five of them in the top forty picks that are on the defensive side of the ball. We've mentioned a right. lot of them, yeah. Right, and then he transfers again because he can't get in front of those same players that you're talking about. Right, Trayvon and, Walker. Couldn't get in front of Trayvon Walker, a guy that might be the number one pick in the draft. Yeah, Right, couldn't get in front of him, so he transfers again. And so now, all of a sudden, Jermaine Johnson is 23 and a half years old. He's two, you know, two, two years and change older than Kayvon Thibodeau. And he, all Kayvon Thibodeau has done has been a ridiculous freak athlete, has a higher relative athletic score, has had more sacks, more pressures, more rushes than Jermaine Johnson is two years younger and has been on a higher trajectory as a younger talent. So for, to me, when you go apples to apples, just those two, two people, give me the guy with the higher upside. Give me the guy that could be like a transformative type of edge rusher. When you look at his power and his strength off the edge, he is like Jadavian Clowney 2.0 in terms of, wow, it pops when you see him play. And so for me, I want that type of swagger on the defense. And it would be perfect for Wink Martindale. That's so awesome that you you bring up a guy who throughout his career has had questions about effort, if he's committed on a down-to-down basis, if he's really invested, or if he's just chasing the dollars, that kind of thing. I like Thibodeau as a prospect, man. And, and the, the big part to me is Jermaine Johnson is older. That That's a big piece of it. And I said this before. 
If you have a guy that's almost 24 years old, you're talking about with a fifth year option, you're talking about a player in that you're going to be paying potentially a second big contract at 29 years old, right? So is that going to carry through until he's 33, 34? There's a big decision to make there, but I don't know, man. Listen, like I know you say freak athlete, but like this stuff does come down to the minutia. And when you're looking at a guy like Jermaine Johnson, first of all, every, the consensus is Wink Martindale loves Jermaine Johnson. He doesn't love Kayvon Thibodeau. He loves what Jermaine Johnson does, sets the edge in a hard way. And that's what really helps predicate the defense that he wants to accomplish on that side of the ball. So there's that piece of it. Wink Martindale has been pushing for Jermaine Johnson. Even if he doesn't get drafted by the giants, that's what Wink Martindale wants over a Kayvon Thibodeau. The other piece to me is, is just, again, as talented as you are, and I get it, like what more did uh, did Thibodeau have to prove at Oregon? Okay, but we've already said, like, what, what is the New York football Giants? What does Brian Dable keep predicating and saying he wants? I want guys that show up, that do the work, that check the boxes, that are committed, that show the effort and energy every single rep at practice, every single step of the way through film room, and then show it on Sunday. Like, what, right, wrong, indifferent, Thibodeau didn't show that all the way through his collegiate career. So there has to be some element of that. And if you look at a guy like Jermaine Johnson, you'd say, well, this guy worked his butt off because it's the only way that he got to where he is now is by just absolutely biting and clawing his way to that point. Marginally different athleticism, sure. And it's interesting. I'm not even pushing for you know Jermaine Johnson to get drafted here, but it's interesting just philosophically because you and I talk about it, right? When at the back end of the draft, we mentioned like safeties, right? What are we going to bring in? You like, just give me a football player. That's what I want. Give me a football player. But at the top of the draft, you want the freak athlete, the guy that just, you know, his measurables are off the chart. And it's 100%. It's, 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 it's an interesting cross section, right? Like that's, and it's funny though, because you say that about him, but then Charles Cross would be considered the freak athlete on the offensive line side of things. Evan Neal is more of that steady mountain of a man technician. I think, it's just fascinating. It says I'm not, I'm not, I fall in that same category on a, on a player to player basis. You start to think about the fit and how it can make things work for big blue. And, and, and then you fall in love with an idea of something. Right. And I think when we talk about draft, we'll talk about 36, 67 and 81 and how you fill these things out by the end of it, the collection of five players at the top 100, regardless of what they do on the back end, you just start to think of how they plug in and how they complement one another on the defense or offensive side of the ball and how it makes the Giants a better team. But it's fascinating, man, because it's like you're, you're almost disgusted with the idea of Jermaine Johnson being that high in the draft, whereas like Thibodeau's a player. I like Again, I've watched the tape on Thibodeau. I don't think that he he's – I don't look at him as a generational franchise-changing player. And maybe that's the big the big discrepancy here. I don't think that he comes in and is, hey, man, we just changed the – you know whatever, Michael Strahan, right? Like, I don't think that Thibodeau is that. And maybe that's the biggest, the biggest margin of difference that I see there. I, I, I can sense that from you. Uh, it's, it's kind of the way I feel about Stingley. Like a lot of people really like Stingley. I'm not a huge Stingley guy. See, Adam, the second that you stop with, with your point, it comes back on. They're like, okay, we, we can give him some credibility. Turn the lights back on. I you suck know? the energy of the <laughs> earth into me when I make these points. Uh, it, it, here's the thing. I do believe it. The comps, it's funny because Pro Football Focus has Aiden Hutchinson a smidge higher in terms of win rate, pressure rate, passer rate, you know, hurries for the quarterback, all of those things. You have Aiden Hutchinson as like the elite of the elite, and you have Kayvon Thibodeau, like a fractional point underneath him. And we're saying like, I would run to the podium if Aiden Hutchinson was there at five. I look at Kayvon Thibodeau that exact way. Like, I think he has that type of impact. The comp that they're saying coincidentally 
is that they think he has the same characteristics of someone like OCU Minura. And man, wouldn't it be nice to, for the Giants to be able to have OCU another one of When you watch him play, like I'm, like, I'm not knocking him. Like I feel like it's, this isn't like a bashing Thibodeau. If you go and watch OCU Minura and watch Thibodeau, like they don't look like the same type of player. They don't have the same type of physical attributes. I'm not saying that he's not a freak athlete and he's not going to be an incredible player at the NFL. But like I don't, I don't see, I don't see that comp. Like OCU I mean, they're six three. Five respectively, they're both 255 pounds. They both they both are like guys that are freak athletes for their size, like the, the the comp, and they both get to the quarterback. They like to rush more than they like to run block. Like that is that is a a very good comp in terms of especially if you're a giant fan. Like what you what could yeah. be here? And, I guess. So I me, get, and then, by the way, and the other thing is too. Uh, the other thing is too quickly is that the, the the real what I'm talking about is is, is also saying. Remember, Sauce Gardner is regarded that way at the cornerback position. When you talk about being 6'3", the measurables, and saying, again, he's going to plug in and be one of the top five cornerbacks day one coming into the NFL. And, and, and in that regard, we're on the same page of what is a position that the Giants have had, not had that transformative player in a decade? It, it is at cornerback. It is at edge rusher. And that's really what, what we're talking about here, too. It's like, I want the player that helps change this franchise on that side of the ball and on offense as well, right? So when you're talking about those two elements, that's why you start to fall in love with a Thibodeau or a Hutchinson or a Sauce Gardner, you know, depending on where you look in this draft class. And again, to me, the fact that you have so many guys that are marginally in and around Thibodeau, it makes it a, hey, you could take any one of these guys and be very happy with them. You're not hearing that about Sauce Gardner at the top of this draft. You're hearing about Sauce Gardner, then there's a little bit of a notch down, some stingly action, and then it's a big drop off before you get to the next guy. And that's the difference, too, to me, relative to who is available in this class. That being the case, we knew we were going to run long on this. We're going to get into 36, 67, 81 tomorrow. We, we'll mention some other names here. Oh, get, follow us over on Twitter. We have a very small but dedicated following on Twitter. If you follow us over there, though, there's a list of names I'm going to be putting out there as far as here are the groups of players at every single time in the draft that the Giants are going to be drafting a collection of players based on what they do at five. Here's seven. What they do at seven. Here's 36, 67, 81, and all the way back through. We want to get those names out there because I think there are a lot of talented prospects that the Giants can go after here to help improve this franchise in the short and long term. So please get in on that action there. I'll be running another mock draft later today and again tomorrow just to flesh out some of these later round prospects. You have to meantime, get those mocks in. You have to get listen, those buddy, mocks I'm in. I'm only Adam. going as high as 4.0. That's as far as I'm going. That is an incredible drop-off from some of the reps that I was putting out over the last couple of years. And again, it's all just about trying to find these picks. I've already, in the last three days, I've been able to find three or four more players at 147 and 171 that can be real contributors to this team based on what they do ahead of that. So there's talented players throughout this draft. Follow us on YouTube. You can see me coming to you live from the dungeon. Uh, you can get after us on social media. Give us your picks. Hit us with your names on YouTube in the comments. Who do you want to see the Giants take, especially in the later rounds? What's your biggest mystery position of need for Big Blue? Get after us. Chop it up. We want to hear from you. Thanks for being in on the YouTube live. It's obviously the perfect scenario to have this happening inside of my studio. We will be back again tomorrow talking about what we think will happen for the New York football Giants, getting away from our desires and the hard facts that Joe Shane will bring to the table. And as always, in the meantime, as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and demand the people know, as always, let's go Big Blue. 